from KQED. If you spend any time along the shores or on the water inside the Golden Gate, you may have thought that the bay looks less ocean blue and more olive green. Justin Hartung definitely thinks so. Yes, I noticed it driving across the bridge mostly. Uh, I live right here in Emeryville, so the water, especially right here by the bridge, is really green some days. Justin grew up in Oakland's Montclair neighborhood. Moved to New York around uh, 1992 for college. And when he moved back a couple years ago, the bay itself looked very different to him. I remember it being much more blue, so I wondered if that was a thing or if I was just remembering things incorrectly. I'm Olivia Allen Price. We'll find out if Justin's observations hold water this week on Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Founded in 1980, it's still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And still the pale ale that sparked a craft beer revolution. Sierra Nevada, still the one. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Justin Hartung brought his question to Bay Curious. You selected it in our June voting round. And now reporter Amanda Font heads out in search of answers about the colors of the bay. I live in Alameda, but I work in San Francisco, so I get to take the ferry every day. It's beautiful. It's a great commute. It also means I get a good look at the water. I have to say, from shore to shore, it looks pretty green to me. Incremental change is hard to see when you're looking at something every day. Like how your hair looks just as long today as it did yesterday, even though it has grown a little. You could look at an old photo of yourself to see a difference, but that won't work if we're looking for subtle color changes in the bay. The only way to know for sure is through data, and lots of it. Many parts of the bay are very different today than they were 43 years ago. Luckily, someone has been collecting that data. My name is Jim Cloran. I'm trained as a lake biologist, but I've spent my entire career working in San Francisco Bay. Jim is recently retired from the U.S. Geological Survey, but he spent more than four decades studying how the bay is influenced by human activities. And he's seen a lot of change. I asked Jim if he could answer Justin's question just straight up. Is the bay really greener? Yeah, okay. Um, The color of water is a pretty complicated subject. All right, kids, buckle up for some science. When I think about the color of water in California, the first thing I think about is Lake Tahoe. You've probably seen those bumper stickers that say, keep Tahoe blue. Well, what does that mean? Lake Tahoe is pretty much snowmelt. It's pretty close to pure water. It doesn't have much in it. And if you held up a drop and looked at it, it would pretty much be clear. It's light that influences how we see the color of water. 
So water absorbs red and green and orange and yellow and violet, but it doesn't absorb blue. Blue light has a much shorter wavelength. So unlike the colors of light with longer wavelengths, say red or orange, it doesn't snake through the water molecules as easily. It bangs into them. And where they hit the molecules, the blue light waves scatter, and your eye perceives more blue light. And so when sunlight penetrates into a lake like Lake Tahoe, all of these other colors are absorbed by the water, but what's left behind is the blue. This light scattering is also the reason the sky looks blue. So if when you were a kid, your mom or dad told you the sky is blue because it reflects the ocean, and the ocean is blue because it reflects the sky, mm, yeah, they probably just didn't know the answer or you were asking too many questions. So in the bay, when you see any other color besides blue, you're really seeing particles. Particles add other colors. There are living particles and there are non-living particles. The non-living particles are mostly clay particles that come from soils. This sediment gets into the water through erosion, runoff after it rains, and via the multiple rivers that flow into the bay. Currents churn up the sediment, which can make the water look brown. The living particles are microscopic algae, phytoplankton. The phytoplankton have um, the same chlorophyll that land plants have that make them green. It's these phytoplankton that give the water a greenish hue. Now, the question of has there been a long-term trend of greenness in the bay? It's, it sounds like a simple question, but it's not as simple and straightforward as you would think because we have all these sources of variability. The bay isn't a static thing. It changes seasonally, day to day, hour to hour. And so if there's a long-term trend, all of that variability makes it hard to detect a, a long-term pattern of change. Here's where all the data comes in. At the USGS, Jim was also part of a project that, since 1968, has been collecting water samples in the bay to measure changes over time. These sampling cruises happen about once a month. I talked with Erica Najad on one of them. She's a biologist who works for the USGS. This day, she was using specialized instruments to collect the measurements of several different factors, including chlorophyll content. <laughs> so, so the CTD is taking vertical profiles of the water column at different stations. Every station we stop at is getting a um, complete vertical profiler of that space and time. The CTD, that stands for conductivity, temperature, and depth, is a bundle of different sensors attached together at the end of a cable. At each of the sampling locations, Erica lowers this thing slowly to the bottom of the bay. We added this nice camera so I can see when the CTD's at surface. So I want to start right sitting at surface, and then I go to as close to bottom as I can get without running it into the bottom. <laughs> so I can see my depth here. All the way down, it's scanning, taking measurements and reporting them back. It comes back up with a sample of deep water so they can study the phytoplankton species later. There's also a continuous surface water sampler running inside the lab on the boat, and a special instrument that is taking pictures of individual phytoplankton in real time. They're collecting a ton of information so that when you look at the larger data set, patterns start to emerge. 
Here's Jim again. We have measured over the last two decades a trend of increasing phytoplankton. So two things are going on that would make the bay look greener over time. Decreased sediment input, less brown, increasing phytoplankton abundance, more green. So yes, there is a trend of increasing greenness in the bay. There you have it. It is greener. But we're not done yet. Because, like Ricardo Montalban in The Wrath of Khan, I want to know... Why? Why? Why are there more phytoplankton now than before? Now we need to talk about biological communities. Phytoplankton are small, but they take up a lot of space. Little on the aggregate, but massive on the whole. If you could weigh all of the communities in the, that live in the bay, the phytoplankton, the bacteria, the clams, the, the mussels, the crabs, the fish, the phytoplankton would weigh the most. It's the living component that has the largest living biomass in the bay. They're right at the base of the food web. A lot of them are eaten by clams and mussels, which are filter feeders. They pull in and blow out water through a tube-like structure called a siphon. And in the process, they filter out the nutritious phytoplankton. They used to do this at a pretty astounding rate. And we calculated, well, this is over three decades ago, that if you, if you know how many clams and mussels are in the bay, how large they are, uh, you can calculate how fast they're filtering water. The clams and mussels that live in the bay are pumping a volume of water that's equal to the volume of water in the bay every one or two days during the summertime. If you've ever gone swimming in the bay and gotten water in your mouth, just know that it has probably been filtered through a clam. So, back before 1998, those clams and mussels were keeping the phytoplankton population under control. But then, things started to shift. And in 1999, we started seeing changes in the seasonal pattern of the phytoplankton. We saw a bloom in the autumn. We'd never seen anything like that before. Our question asker, Justin, was living in New York in 1999, so he didn't see this shift until it was well underway. The extra phytoplankton blooms were a mystery to Jim and the team, until they checked in with their colleagues who study the clams. They could hardly find any in the bay. But other species numbers were growing. They started seeing record high numbers of crabs in the bay, flatfish in the bay like English sole, and record high numbers of shrimp. Those animals are all coastal marine organisms who live their adult lives in the ocean, but their young spend the first year or two of life in the shelter of the bay, and they all eat clams. So, Amanda, to make sure I have this, starting in 1999, we have more clam eaters. So fewer clams, thus more phytoplankton and greener water. Yeah. Uh, this is called a trophic cascade. A change in one part of the food web sets off a cascading effect on the other organisms in it. And the clam eater numbers are still up, which is why the water is still that rich shade of artichoke. Okay, but why the sudden influx of those other animals? We have learned over the last couple of decades that there are natural cycles of the climate system that fluctuate over periods of multiple decades. There are these huge wind oscillations that happen way out in the North Pacific Ocean. Around 1999, the direction of the winds shifted in a way that caused the ocean along our coast to churn up cold water from the deep. This is called coastal upwelling. 
And the cold deep water is rich in nutrients. So this phase of strong winds, strong upwelling, is a period of high biological productivity. Okay, so the winds blow, it shifts the ocean climate, feeds the flatfish, crabs, and shrimp, their babies drift into the bay, eat the clams, the phytoplankton populations grow, and the water turns green. That's how it works. (laughs) And this all has something to do with human-caused climate change, I take it? Actually, no. Jim made it clear that this is not something that has been caused by human actions. These aren't responses to global climate change. This is part of the natural oscillation of the climate system. Does that mean the water will eventually go back to looking more blue? So this um, greening period that we've experienced since 1998, we might reverse that pattern if we see this next climate shift. The only way we'll really know for sure is if we keep collecting data so we can observe long-term changes. It's really important for us to keep making measurements, keep making observations, because the longer we do this, the more we're surprised, and surprises are new discoveries. That was reporter Amanda Font. She took the story back to listener Justin Hartung to see what he thought. I'm glad to know that uh, it's not uh, the climate. I'm glad to know it's not my failing eyesight or my bad memory. So mystery definitely solved. And I can also tell my dad that I am not crazy, which he told me I was when I told him about this. So, Thanks for asking the question, Justin. If you're digging the podcast, you will definitely dig our email newsletter. We send it on the first Wednesday of the month, and it has answers to more listener questions than we have time to get to on the show. Plus, there's behind-the-scenes tidbits, like how we used a theremin to make sound effects for this episode. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play March's trivia game? Every month, we'll read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a sweet prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is... This Bay Area high school holds the longest winning streak in high school football. They won 151 games in a row between 1992 and 2004. What is the name of the school? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.